Well, we began the, the letter of Second Peter a couple of months ago. And chapter 1, Peter reminded us of what the Lord has done for the church. The Lord has granted to us precious and magnificent promises. The, the promise of salvation, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the very life of God in you and in me, the promise of Jesus himself. And in chapter 2, Peter has warned the church then and the church now of the presence of false teachers, those who would intentionally come in to lead followers of Christ away from the things of God. And in chapter 3, we've read of both the judgment and the mercy, which we will find in the return of the Lord. His second coming, his, as we learned last time, his second advent, the coming of the day of God. And, and today we come to the end of the letter, and Peter has one more thing to share. The last five verses, verse 14 through 18 of, of chapter 3 of Second Peter, Peter writes, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found spotless and blameless by him, at peace, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Therefore, after all I've said, this entire letter, beloved, as you remember, Jesus commissioned Peter to, to tend to the church, to tend to his lambs, to, to love the church, and Peter loves the church, and Peter says, since you look for these things, well, well, what things? Well, the new heavens and the new earth, the coming of the Lord, the return of the Lord, the Lord making all things new, the Lord making all things right, the Lord bringing judgment. And Peter says, be diligent to be found spotless and blameless by him. Be, be diligent. Don't dilly-dally. Don't dawdle. Be spotless and blameless by the Lord. And unlike these false teachers whom we saw back in chapter 2, these false teachers, they count it a pleasure to, to revel in the daytime. They're going to carry on with their lifestyle right in broad daylight. And, and Peter says they are stains and they are blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they feast with you. As they, as they spend time with you, they're letting it all hang out. And Peter is saying, don't be like these spots and blemishes. The Bible teacher Tom Schreiner adds this. He says, it's apparent that being spotless and blameless is necessary for eternal life. We should not confuse this with moral perfection, at least in this life. The New Testament does teach, however, that those who belong to God's people will live godly lives and that they will be perfected on the last day. And the false teachers, in other words, will not be saved on the last day since their blemished lives will condemn them. So who is our model? Well, we don't want to follow these false teachers, so who is our model? Well, if we rewind back to early in the year, when we looked at Peter's first letter, in the, in the very beginning, he says to the church in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, Peter says, if you address as Father, that's capital F, so the Heavenly Father, the One, that's capital O, the One who impartially judges according to each one's work, Peter says, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, during your life. You need to live with respect and fear of the Lord. 
And Peter says, "...knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, you weren't saved by what you have in the bank, by what you own. You weren't redeemed, you weren't bought back from the gates of hell with your stuff, but you were bought back with the precious blood by a lamb, as by a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So who is our model? Well, it's, it's, it's the sinless, unblemished Lamb of God, Jesus. The Lamb of God who, who takes away the sins of the world. And, and Peter says, be at peace. Wow, doesn't that sound good? Be at peace. Be at peace. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Patience. Patience. Uh, something for which we all strive. <laughs> and it's a hard thing to hold. Um, a biblical definition of patience, it's waiting sufficient time before expressing anger. And salvation, a biblical definition, well, it's God's rescue which delivers believers out of destruction and into His safety. So, so the patience of our Lord, His waiting sufficient time before He expresses His anger, the patience of the Lord, we should regard His patience as His rescue for us. Today is the day of salvation. And, and one writer said this, scoffers, those who mock, count the delay of the judgment of God as slackness. But the Christian should count it as salvation. A couple of weeks ago, we saw in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, and you can look just, a, just scroll up a few verses there at the end of chapter 3. Peter writes this, Beloved, do not let this one thing escape your notice. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise as some understand slowness, but He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone all to come to repentance. Repentance is, is the key. Peter goes on, he says, Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things. So Paul has written some things, and Peter is saying, regard the patience of the Lord of our Lord as salvation, just as also Paul, our beloved brother, he wrote the same thing according to the wisdom given him. He's written to you the, the same message. In his letters, and he's speaking in them, in verse 16, of these things. And then Peter adds this about Paul. In which there are some things that are hard to understand. <laughs> Peter is saying about Paul, you know, he's written some things that are hard to comprehend. And we'll look at that in just a second. Which the untaught and the unstable distort, as they do the rest of the Scriptures, to their own destruction. So just as Paul, the beloved brother, as he has written to the church, according to the wisdom given to him by the grace of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 points that out. It's the grace of God who has equipped Paul with wisdom. And Paul is speaking in all of his letters of 
things like what Peter has shared. The new heavens, the the new earth, the coming of the Lord, the Lord making all things new, the Lord making all things right, the Lord bringing judgment. And Peter says that Paul has written in his letters some things that are hard to understand. Well, we've probably all heard of the Apostle Paul. Paul, once known as the zealous Saul, the devout Jewish scholar and statesman who at one time was an enemy of the early church. Paul, who would later meet Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul would surrender his life for the gospel and would become one of the Christian church's greatest defenders of the faith. Paul, who would pen letters of encouragement, letters of education, letters of edification to the church, letters which would later comprise a significant portion of the New Testament. And in the the coming months, we'll be looking at some of what Paul shared with the church. The Holy Spirit enabled Paul to make some profound connections between the writings of the Old Testament and the Christ follower's life following the reality-changing events of the cross and the empty tomb. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit enabled Paul to make some profound connections between the writings of the Old Testament prophets and the Christ follower's life following reality-changing events of the cross and the empty tomb. The cross has changed everything. The empty tomb has changed everything. And Paul, with his God-given wisdom, has made connections between what the prophets in the Old Testament have shared to what life looks like following the cross and the resurrection (laughs) and the ascension. And, And Peter says that Paul has written some things which are hard to understand. Well, that's in some ways, that's kind of an understatement. One doesn't read Paul for background music. Paul, you have to expend some effort to read Paul. And anything worth doing is worth doing well and worth working that mental muscle. But in some ways... It's not, it's not Paul's writings that are hard to understand. In some ways, the truths which Paul reveal, it's not that they're hard to understand. It's that they are hard to hear. And there's a difference. The difficulty is not in what he wrote, but the difficulty comes in accepting and hearing what he what he shares. And he reveals some truths that are hard to hear. But Peter and Paul, they've said similar and consistent things. For instance, just as we as we saw about God's patience, he, he's patient because he wants all to come to repentance. Peter has shared that in, in verses eight and nine of this letter. Well, 
That's what Peter has said. Paul writes in Romans chapter 2 about God's kindness. And, and he asks a question. Paul says, Do you disregard the riches of God's kindness and tolerance and patience? Do you, do you just ignore God's kindness as specifically shown through what Jesus has done on the cross? Do you just ignore that and you don't realize that it's God's kindness which is leading you to repentance? It's because of the cross that we're able to have a relationship of peace with God. That's God's kindness. That violent death of Jesus is God's kindness towards us. And, and Peter says that these difficult things of God, that the untaught and the unstable, they distort, as they do with the rest of the Scriptures, to their own destruction. So the untaught, the unstable, whom we saw back in chapter 2, the, the unstable children who were enticed by false teachers and they're now following headlong into destruction. And, and these who are untaught and they're unstable, they distort the things of God. They distort Scripture. How do they distort them? Well, they're teaching Scripture. If you've known me for any period of time... I tend to look at things logically. I think faith and logic, they're, they're points that they intersect. And, and what's interesting to me is that the untaught are teaching. That, that's the conundrum there. The untaught are the ones teaching. And, and fact is, none of us know it all. None of us know it all. And, and we should all be learning. We've all known folks who think they know it all, right? <laughs> but none of us know it all, and we should all be learning. But Peter is not speaking of those who have not had the opportunity to be taught. He's, he's speaking about those who, are, who have been unwilling to hear and learn the truth of Scripture. Those that want Scripture to, to say what they want it to say, not really what it says. They don't want to listen. They simply want to share their uninformed opinions. Example, when I'm playing music, if I'm listening to a song and I'm trying to hear what the guitar player is doing, I'm listening intently so that I can try and I can try to nail what's being played. You know, there's a lot of hot pickers out there, and I'm trying to pick it out, trying to filter it, trying to hear it. And sometimes I get close, and then sometimes I don't. And sometimes if I can't catch exactly what's happening... I'll make something up. <laughs> I'll improvise. And, and I'll improvise in, in the style of that player or, or maybe that genre of music. However, we're not supposed to do that with the Bible. When I come to a part of Scripture that's hard to understand, or honestly a, a part that is hard to hear, I can't improvise. You can improvise on an instrument, but you cannot improvise on God's Word. One item of note. Peter in verses 15 and 16, he refers to the response given to Paul's letters as being the same response which is given to the rest of the Scriptures. So what is Peter implying? That, that Paul, 
under guidance of the Holy Spirit, is pinning Scripture. God breathed writings which point to Jesus as the fulfillment of all the law and all the prophets throughout the Bible. God breathed and consistent writings, consistent with one another. Peter says in verse 17, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unscrupulous people and lose your, your own firm commitment. You, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, knowing what exactly? Well, knowing that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and knowing that the Lord's patience being seen in the delay in His return is the opportunity for salvation. Peter says to be on your guard. Watch out and avoid why in the world would, would Peter tell us to be on guard? Well, so that you were not carried away by the error of unscrupulous people. Carried away. That, that's pretty good imagery there. What happens when we get carried away with something? <laughs> A biblical definition of carried away, to be led away or to conform to. Carried away by error. Errors. Well, we all make mistakes, don't we? We all make mistakes. But that's not the case here. There's a little more involved. And a, and a biblical definition of error that means a departure from what God says is true. Peter says not to get carried away by unscrupulous people. And if someone is unscrupulous, what does that mean exactly? Well, Oxford Languages defines one who is unscrupulous as having no moral principles unprincipled, wicked, lawless. And when I think of unscrupulous, I'm thinking that that one is that way intentionally. It's, it's lawless with intent. Purposefully wicked. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, he said for about the last days, he said for false Christs, false messiahs and anointed ones, and false prophets will arise and will provide great signs and, and wonders so as to mislead. Do you remember what Peter said about prowling lions? In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter wrote, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That says... To me, that's something with intent. And these false teachers, these, these ones who are untaught, these ones who are unstable and who distort what God's Word says, they are unscrupulous and they are intent on leading naive, trusting sheep away. And we've seen unscrupulous people before. Peter mentioned the cousin of Abraham. He referred to him as righteous Lot. And he said that righteous Lot was oppressed by the perverted conduct of unscrupulous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, way back in chapter 2 of this letter. Well, we know how all that ended up, don't we? Peter says to be on guard so that you do not lose your own firm commitment. 
your own steadfastness. We are told to persevere. We're told to stand firm. We're, we're told to not fall away. Whoa, what? And this is uncomfortable language, falling away. What does that mean? Well, Tom Schreiner provides an explanation, and, and it's a very helpful illustration. The word for fall, what that means, it, it refers to something called apostasy. And apostasy is the departing from the Christian faith. And Schreiner writes that Peter had clarified in the entire letter that those who fall away, like these false teachers, they're destined for eternal destruction. And believers maintain their secure position, in other words, by heeding warnings, not by ignoring them. And then a great, a great example, a great illustration. Schreiner writes, experienced mountain climbers ensure their safety by studying their climb, taking necessary precautions, and knowing their climbing partners. Mm. Paying attention to warnings does not quench confidence, but is the means to confidence. So also Peter was not putting a damper on the assurance of his readers. He's not putting a, a, a dampener on the assurance of us. Schreiner says that, that Peter knew that assurance becomes a reality by heeding warnings. Those who are on their guard will not fall from their secure position, while those who are careless are apt to slip away because they ignored warning signals. And, and we should add here that any who do finally turn aside and fall away reveal that they were never part of of the people of God. Way back in our time in the beginning, we looked at the letter of 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 2, John wrote this. He said, children, it's the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have, have appeared. For From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out. So that would, it would be evident that they all are not of us. Peter tells us one more thing. Last verse. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But you, <laughs> you are to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. You, you see, that's the whole point of all of this. Early on, in the, in the greeting in this letter, Peter wrote, he said, grace and peace be, be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Now for this very reason, 
now for this very reason to escape corruption. And then, and then Peter goes down a list of these, of these ways that this knowledge is increasing. He says this, In your faith, supply moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. And then Peter wrote this, and I love how he wrote it. For if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, they do not make you useless. Again, <laughs> they don't make you useless. They're not going to kill you. If these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they do not make you useless nor unproductive in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the whole point, to, to be increasing, to be, to be growing. Schreiner adds this one more thing. He says, growing in knowledge is necessary for living the Christian life. Only those who progress in godly virtues reveal that their knowledge of Jesus Christ is fruitful. Conversely, that those who renounce Christ after coming to know Him are worse off than those who never professed faith in Christ. Growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, then, is not optional. It's essential for eternal life. And Peter fittingly placed this theme at the conclusion of the letter. So, so what's, what's the best way to grow in the, in the grace of our Lord and Savior? To grow in the knowledge of the Lord and the Savior. Peter says, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. There's a quote attributed to Augustine, an early church father, it's only one day, but an everlasting day. And yes, without yesterday to precede it, and without tomorrow to follow it. Not brought forth by the natural sun, which shall exist no more, but by Christ, the Son of Righteousness. And how does Peter conclude? Amen. <laughs> so be it. Amen. And Peter began our time today in this way. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found spotless and blameless by him. At peace. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Do you have peace? Do you have peace? The way that we are given peace is by Him, by Jesus. That violent, terrible crucifixion of the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, taking all of our sins on His pure, spotless life, paying our sin debt in that violent way, so that we could have a relationship of peace with God. Today is the day of salvation. The Lord is patient because the Lord wants all to come to repentance. Do you have peace? 